Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. And uh, while you're finding your place, give you a praise from Wednesday night. We had over 110 people at Bible study on Wednesday. Yeah. So uh, we invite you to come, 7 o'clock. We're doing a short six-week series on the life of Joseph. And we had a great start to our fall Bible study on Wednesday night. I, I don't think all 110 were there just for the pizza. I, I don't. Maybe, and if you were, don't tell me. Let me be under that delusion for a while. In these next couple of weeks, we're going to be digging into the subject of spiritual rest. It's such an important subject that the author of Hebrews spends two plus chapters on this one subject. In fact, I would like to start this morning by asking us this question and having us begin to consider this in our minds today. Are you at rest right now in your life? Are you at rest? The rest that we're talking about, again, is not a physical rest. It's a spiritual rest that comes from God. It is a spiritual rest, though, that will certainly affect us physically and emotionally. In other words, when we are not spiritually at rest with God as his people, it will negatively affect our emotional and physical well-being. When we are at spiritual rest, it will certainly positively affect our physical and emotional well-being. And as we come to Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, I just want to back up for a moment. We're going to be in these chapters for a couple weeks, but I want to back up for a moment and and get the big picture before we get into chapter 4. The author of Hebrews was using the people of God in the Old Testament, especially the people who were delivered and saved out of Egypt, whom God, you know, rescued through the leadership of Moses. And he's using them as an an instructional example for us. He's saying, look, we can learn a lot from that generation. In fact, that's what the Bible says, that the Old Testament was given to us so that we could be instructed by the things that they did and the things that they should have done, the things that they shouldn't have done, and that we can learn from their example. So the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes back to that generation and says, now here's something that happened a while ago. But it's something that certainly still speaks to us today. Because he is saying, remember that story? 
In the book of Exodus, whenever God promised his people that after he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, that he wanted to take them into the promised land. And the author is reminding us in these chapters that the promised land was not just a physical address. It was not just a physical location. It represented something more than that. It was a place where these people would experience God's rest. Where they would be in a position with God where they would enjoy this spiritual rest. But he says, you know the story, right? They never experienced God's rest. That whole generation missed out on God's rest for their life. It was offered to them by God, but they never attained it. And he's saying to us, we need to learn from them. Because he wants to tell us today that that same place, if you will, though it may not be a physical promised land that God is leading us to, God wants us to enjoy His rest. And so we're going to explore what does that mean? What is this spiritual rest? And how do I experience it and enjoy it? What do we learn from the Old Testament example of the people of God who were delivered out of Egypt? So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. In fact, I had to divide this sort of message up into a couple different parts because there's so much here to talk about. And we know that this rest still exists for us today. For Jesus, even while he was here on earth, said to those who were following him, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, you will find rest in me. So the author of Hebrews, who's already talked to us about our great Savior and our great salvation and that great and glorious destiny that we have awaiting us as God's children now wants to come back to the here and now. And he says, but though that's very inspiring and motivational to be thinking about our destiny, which we all need to continually do, he says, but it's not just about waiting till we get to heaven to be at rest. He says, don't you realize that when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead and offers us this salvation, that again, his salvation is so much more. That's why it's so great than just having our sins forgiven and having a ticket to heaven. It's about being able to be in a position or place with God where you and I as human beings even in a world of turmoil and chaos and where the circumstances of our own life aren't always going to be without adversity and all these things, that God is saying, you can still enjoy and experience my rest. You can be in the midst of a storm in your life and still be at rest. So I ask us again, 
Are you at rest this morning? Notice in Hebrews chapter 4 that the author is reminding us that this rest that God offered to the Israelites is still available for us. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore we must be wary that while the promise of entering his rest remains open, none of you may seem to have come short of it. And we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But notice that phrase, his rest remains open. There is still a reservation, if you will, at God's table for you to experience and enjoy his rest. Then notice in verse 6 of chapter 4. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it. Again, pointing out this rest that God offered his people thousands of years ago under Moses was not just for them because it was more than a physical place that was identified as the promised land. It's a position with God. It's a spiritual destination that offers spiritual rest. So then notice in verse nine, he repeats, consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. Again, this is why Jesus could offer his followers, come to me, I will give you rest. So I want to go back now and look at verse one again of Hebrews four, because The author is concerned, as he should be, that just like the people of God in the Old Testament who were delivered out of Egypt and who missed out on this rest, that you and I could spend our whole lives as a Christian and never experience or enjoy God's rest. Notice he says, therefore, we must be wary. The word means to be alarmed, to be greatly concerned. In other words, he's saying, doesn't it concern you that we could make the same mistake as the people of God under Moses? That there was this whole generation of the people of God who were delivered, who were saved out of slavery in Egypt, but never experienced all that God had for them. They never got to that promised land. They never experienced his rest. That whole generation died out in the wilderness. And so he says, therefore, we must be wary that while the promise of entering his rest remains open, again, there's still a reservation for us that you and I may seem to have come short of it. It means to be left out, to miss out on what is vital. And important. See, to God, it's very important that his people experience and enjoy spiritual rest. Because God understands when you and I are at rest with him, it will positively affect our emotions and our physical well-being. When you and I, as the people of God, are not at rest with God, our Savior... It's going to affect us negatively, emotionally, and physically. And again, he's not talking here to people who don't know God. Because in some way, 
they're not as divided. You see, they don't, they're not pretending to be people of God and then pretending to, you know, exist in the world and be part of the world. For them, their, their, their life is all one. It's apart from God. The difficult life, the real struggle is with those who profess to know God and have a relationship with God and yet not be at rest with their creator. That's a miserable place to be. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying many people of God throughout history have been in that very place. What is the rest of God? We're, we're going to see this as we move through the passage this morning, but let me give you three things that describe what this rest is. First of all, it is being settled with God. Settled with God. Let me illustrate it this way. This is not a perfect way to illustrate it, but for some of you, it may, it may cause something to click a little bit. It would be like being in a dating relationship perpetually, but never settling down and marrying the person. God, in a sense, through the author of Hebrews is saying, here's the problem with many Christians. It's almost like they spend their whole Christian life sort of dating God, but never really settling down and committing and marrying God. And part of God's rest is being settled with God. Being settled in God. Secondly, part of God's rest is being satisfied with God. See, again, many Christians have God in their life, but always are looking for something else other than God. To fulfill and satisfy them. I mean, the people of God delivered out of Egypt were that way. Though God had delivered them and he was in their midst and he was, he was doing all these miracles like parting Red Seas and things like that. And his very presence was amongst them. That wasn't enough. They were like, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. Food's not good here. We're not quite comfortable physically. They were always, the Bible says, grumbling and murmuring and complaining about what they didn't have, even though they had God. And that's part of why they never experienced God's rest. Because they were never, God was never enough for them. And yet again, the Bible says, as David does in Psalm 23, if the Lord is our shepherd, we should be at a place in our life where we realize that's all I need. I lack nothing. But most, many people of God never get to that place. Because they live their whole life with God, but always looking for someone or something else to satisfy or fulfill them. And that's why they're never at rest. Or at least able to experience or enjoy the rest that they could have with God if they simply settled down with God and were satisfied 
in and with God. And then the final thing is to be secure in God or secure with God. So many Christians today, Christians living in fear of what's happening in the world today and, and stressed out about the, uh, the events and all of these things because can I, their security really isn't in God. If, you're not, if, if our security is in God and God never changes, and, and then there is a stability in him that it doesn't matter what's going on around us in our lives, in the world. It doesn't matter. We're going to be secure with and in him. And that will give us rest. That even in the midst of storms, and situations, and adversity, and pain, and trial, and all these things, we're at rest. Because our security is not going to be found in people, in human beings, in governments, in anything of this world. Our security is in God alone. But again, as the author of Hebrews says, I'm writing this to you, people of God, so that you will be wary, be a little alarmed and greatly concerned that just like God promised them under Moses that they could experience his rest, they came short. They missed out. They never experienced God's rest their whole life. Instead of being at rest with God, they were roaming and restless, wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And the thing that their author is going to point out is, this was a perpetual restlessness. It wasn't like they were restless at that one time, so God made them go for 40 years. They never were willing the whole 40 years to settle down with God. To be satisfied with God and to be secure with God. The whole 40 years. Which is why their bodies dropped in the wilderness, never experiencing the blessing and favor of the promised land. Now think about this, folks. That's why this is so serious. How many of us as Christians... We're the people of God. We know God. We have a relationship with Him, but we're not at rest. And how many other Christians do we know that's in that same situation? Saved, but not surrendered. Redeemed, but not at rest. So how do we experience this rest with God then? We'll go back with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And let's begin reading there and looking there at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. The author says, as the Holy Spirit says, which just very quickly notice that he's quoting the Old Testament. But he's saying, but it's the Holy Spirit who's actually speaking. So he's equating, again, Scripture with the very Word of God. 
As the Holy Spirit says, oh, that today, right now, at this present time, you and I would listen as God speaks. He's already told us God is speaking to us. It's not that God doesn't talk to us or speak to us. It's are we listening to God? The word listen means to pay careful attention to God's voice. And do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. The word harden means to be stubborn, inflexible, and resisting what God is saying. So notice something here. He's saying to the people of God, it's not that you aren't hearing God. It's not that God's not speaking. It's that the people of God have this really bad habit of when they are hearing God speak into their lives as they did under Moses. That they basically close their ears. They refuse to really hear and yield to what God is saying. They are stubborn. They are inflexible. They are set in their ways. And sort of their response, though they don't ever have to say anything verbally, is in their heart, they're saying to God, God, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. I'm going to continue to go the way I want to go. And though I hear your voice, I am saying no to that voice. Now, the author of Hebrews finds this so significant that notice he mentions this over and over and over again in these couple of chapters. If you go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 15, he repeats it again. As it says, oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Then up in chapter 4, look at verse 7. Oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts. The author is saying, here's the first reason why people of God do not experience his rest. Because when God is speaking to us, we don't listen. We become hardened. We become stubborn and inflexible and refuse what God is saying to us and we say no. Again, it doesn't have to be verbal. It's in our heart. We're not yielding to the voice of God. When you and I harden our hearts to the voice of God, we will not be at rest. That's why some of you here today, you are hearing God speaking to you right now about something. And if your response is, yeah, God, but, or just, nope, I'm going to continue to do this the way I want to do it. You're going to miss out on God's rest in your life. Because God's rest falls upon those that when 
We as the people of God hear his voice. We do not harden our hearts. We yield and surrender our hearts, even if we don't like it. Because here's the danger too. And this is what happened to this generation that he's pointing out here in this passage of Hebrews. They hardened their hearts over and over to the point where it became more and more difficult for them to yield and surrender when they heard God's voice. See, every time you and I say no to God's voice, it's easier the next time to continue to say no. And then the next time, it's easier. We can sort of develop a habit, if you will, of saying no and hardening ourselves to the voice of God. It's not that we're not hearing God's voice. It's not that God is not speaking, the author says. The problem is we're not listening when God speaks. And therefore we are forfeiting this rest. We're arching our backs and stiffening our necks. And we're saying no to the voice of God. Back to chapter 3, verse 8. Notice he says, Do not harden your hearts in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. He's saying, do you realize that these people who were delivered out of Egypt by God literally challenged God? That's what it means. How do they challenge God? They basically says, say, say to God, I don't believe you're going to do what you said you're going to do, God. We'll, we'll get to the promised land. We'll all get there, right? We're, we're going to experience your favor and blessing, right? They basically challenged the validity, the veracity of God's word. They put God to the test. Say, wow, a terrible generation. Can I say we do the same thing at times with God? When somehow... We say, God, I'm going to do life my way and I'm not going to listen to you and somehow this is going to be okay. It's going to turn out okay in the end. In a sense, that's challenging God. And Paul even says to the Galatians, God will not be made a fool. Men and women will reap what we sow. We don't. We don't challenge the word of God and win. We don't dare God to follow through with his promises. Because he will every time. If God told that generation, you need to trust me or else you will not experience the promised land. Most of them said, I don't believe it. God won't ever follow through with that. Guess what? Not only did they wander for 40 years, that generation died in that wilderness just like God said they would. Therefore, he says in verse 9, There your fathers tested me, Challenged me, God said, and tried me. And they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I became provoked 
displeased and grieved by this generation and said their hearts are always perpetually wandering and they've not really known my ways. The word wandering means to be roaming and restless. How sad. God said, This whole generation could have experienced rest in the promised land. That land flowing with milk and honey and everything they could have ever wanted. If they would have just been settled with me, satisfied with me, secure with me, they could have experienced this wonderful life. But they died never experiencing it. They lived their whole life roaming and restless. And never at rest. Folks, if we need a message delivered to the church today, this is it. Because we are living in the midst of a whole culture of Christians who are roaming and restless and not at rest. I'm not saying that they're not saved. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they're not the people of God. Because as the author of Hebrews says, we can be the people of God and still miss out on his rest. We can be saved, but not at rest. Because how many Christians today, if they were honest, would say, I'm not at rest. I'm all churned up in here. Nobody else may know. And I, I put on a really good front and I fake it. And even probably most of my family members and, and the people closest to me don't know what's going on down here. But yeah, God knows. God and I know I'm not at rest. So he says in verse 11, as I swore in my anger, which just means passion for righteousness, something we forget about the character of God. He has a burning passion for what's right. And he says, as I swore in my anger, they will never enter or experience my rest. How sad. It didn't have to be this way. How many days go by in our lives as Christians where we are roaming and restless and where we're not at rest spiritually with God and yet it would never have to be that way. And the author of Hebrews is telling us, here's where it starts. Here's where we start experiencing that rest. That when we hear God's voice, We listen to God's voice and we do not harden our hearts like they did in the day of the rebellion. Notice over in chapter 3 and verse 15. Again, he says, as it says, oh, today that you would listen as he speaks, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." For which ones heard and rebelled? Was it not all who came out of Egypt under Moses' leadership? 
And against whom was God provoked or displeased or grieved at for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear or promise that they would never enter his rest except those who were disobedient? Let me point this out. The word disobedient is an important word. It means to be refused to be persuaded by God. That's what the word disobedient means. I refuse to be persuaded by God himself. God is speaking. God is calling me this direction or this way. But I harden. I stubbornly become inflexible. And I continue to do it my way. Rather than go God's way. So the author says at the end of chapter 3, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief, which simply means being faithless toward God. They didn't trust God, which is why then he flows into chapter 4 and says, then let's be careful, folks, that this same promise of this rest that somehow we miss out, we get left out of experiencing and enjoying God's rest. For notice what he now says in verse 2 of chapter 4. For we had good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard did them no good. Let's stop there. Notice what he's saying. They heard the word of God. It wasn't like they weren't in an environment where they weren't hearing God. So let's even back up a little bit further. There are many Christians today that don't even put themselves in an environment where they're hearing God's word. Okay, at least they were hearing the word of God. But notice something. He says, hearing the word of God isn't enough. Because it did them no good. It means it didn't help them. It didn't benefit them. It didn't profit them. Why? You mean I can hear the word of God and it still not benefit me? Yes. And here's why. Notice, don't miss this very important principle in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Since they did not join it, mix it, unite it with those who heard it in faith. They didn't believe what they were hearing. Now think about this. This is sobering. This means that all across this country, even today on a Sunday, there are thousands of even Christians who are sitting in churches, hopefully churches that are at least teaching the word of God. And yet the author is saying, but here's another reason why they might not ever experience and enjoy God's rest. Because they're hearing the word of God. But they're not really believing what they're hearing. They never mix what they hear with faith. They never really trust in what they're hearing. They never put any confidence in what they're hearing. And think about it. The author is saying, you and I can hear the word of God all day long. We could be in a 24-7 Bible study. And yet it never benefit or profit us At all. Unless we trust in, believe in, and put our confidence in what we're hearing. 
That's why Christians can come to a church like this and hear the Word of God regularly taught and pretty much remain the same. Never change, never be transformed, never grow. Because he says, just by hearing the Word of God alone isn't going to benefit, profit, or help you or I at all unless we believe it. Then our belief in it is what unlocks it. That's what changes everything. But until we really believe it, and listen, I've said this before many times. If you truly believe it, it'll change the way you and I live. That's again why many Christians can even go to a church like this and their lives pretty much remain the same. It's not that they're not hearing the word of God, but they're really not believing in the message because if they believed it, it would change the way they live their lives. Because God, obviously, like all of us, would be speaking into our lives and instead of things remaining the same and us continuing to be stubborn and inflexible and hardening our hearts, we would say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going your way. And things would start to change. So another reason, the author says, of why we as the people of God might not be experiencing his rest is not only because we're hardening our hearts when he's speaking to us, but it also might be because even though we're hearing the word of God, we really don't believe it. And until you and I are willing to fully rest in God and believe what he says and trust what he says, then we can never really have our security in God. And be secure in God and with God. And if you and I aren't secure in and with God, that's part of the definition of his rest, then you and I will never be at rest. Because there will always be something or someone else or something that I'm looking to be secure in. So notice he says in verse 3, We who have believed, who take God at his word, enter that rest. Wow. One other thing today, and then we'll pick it up in these great chapters next week. Notice another aspect here of God's rest that I've already given you. Beginning in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says he's spoken somewhere about the seventh day in this way. So now he's taking us back to creation. Where the Bible says God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Well this word for rest then obviously doesn't mean settled or secure. Because there's nothing insecure or unsettled in God. And that's where this word for rest brings out being satisfied. See, it says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It meant that when God had created everything he did in six days, it meant he was resting on the seventh day because he was satisfied with everything that he had created. But to repeat the text cited earlier, verse 5, they will never enter my rest. Then up in verse 9, he picks up on this Sabbath rest in chapter 4. When he says, consequently, a Sabbath rest to be satisfied in God remains for the people of God. 
That's why then he refers to the seven days of creation. Again, the nuance of this is not to be settled in God or to be secure in God. But here now God is bringing out, you need to be satisfied in me and with me. Just as I was satisfied with everything I made. And so I stepped back for a day and did nothing because I was satisfied. You need to get to that place with me. Where if you have me, then you have everything you're ever looking for, wanting or needing in life. And oh my, I'll bless your socks off with all kinds of other things. But I want to first see that you are satisfied with me alone. When you and I get to that place where we stop trying to fulfill and satisfy our lives with things and all these other things, then we'll really be at rest. You know why? Because that means even if those things are taken away, we're still good. We sing about that. You know that song we sing? The Lord gives and takes away. And boy, we sing that with a smile on our face until God takes something away. Then we're like... Why don't you take that away? Then that proves that, well, we really, you know, we really weren't just satisfied with God because as soon as something's taken away, then there goes my rest. Now I'm all restless again. Now I'm starting to roam. We see how important and practical and relevant the Word of God is to our lives. I mean, we know the world is restless. The Bible says, well, duh, expect that. They, they don't have Christ. How can you expect those who don't have God in their life to be at rest? And that's why the author is not challenging the people who don't know God to be at rest. But here's what he's saying. He said, here's the sad story. The sad story is that the people of God throughout history always could have been at rest. They could have experienced God's rest and enjoyed God's rest in their life, but they wouldn't listen. They continued to harden their hearts and they really didn't believe what God was saying. Because of that, they were forfeiting this wonderful spiritual rest that will not only settle themselves down internally, but actually positively impact their emotional and physical well-being. Why are so many Christians falling apart even emotionally and physically? Because they're not spiritually at rest. Now again, I'm not saying that every physical and emotional ailment has to be tied to this. But what I am saying is there's a lot that is. That the root issue isn't our physical and emotional the root issue of what's really causing it all, because the physical and emotional many times is the symptom. The real root of it is we're not at rest with God. We're not spiritually at rest. We're all churned up and roaming and restless on the inside. God wants us to be at rest today. Notice one more phrase of a verse in verse 11 of chapter 4. After he said all this, the author says, Therefore, we must make every effort to enter that rest. 
See, as Christians, we can't, or as the people of God, we can't sit back and passively say, okay, God, uh, I'm just going to, you know, sit here and hum and be at rest with you. No. No, the word means to be diligent, to fully apply oneself. We've got to put ourselves in a place where we are actively engaging with God every day and his word every day and listening to him and, and keeping our hearts sensitive to him. And where we are trusting in what he's saying to us. Could I ask you to stand with me today? I don't know where you are with God. I I don't know for sure who here today is truly a child of God and who's not. And and if you are a child of God, whether you are at rest or you're not, I don't know. But let's, let's declare this. God knows. And we know. And before we leave this auditorium today and go back out there and even begin another week tomorrow, God is speaking to us. And he's saying, child, don't live one more day, one more hour with this unrest. Yield. Surrender. Stop hardening yourself toward me. Listen to what I'm telling you. Follow what I'm telling you. And you'll begin to experience my rest. Be settled with me. Be satisfied with me. Be secure with me. And experience my rest. So I'm going to ask you today. Are you at rest? Are you at rest with God? And if God is speaking to you today and there's something that God is talking to you about that needs to take place in order for you to experience that. Would you let go of it and do it today? Maybe you're here today and this message obviously has maybe hit you or impacted you. But also, maybe this message has brought to mind a family member or a friend who knows God, but you know by their life and by the things that they've said and where they're at, they're not at rest with God. And you so much desire for them and want them to be at rest. To finally be settled 
in their life. Just keep praying for them. But you know one of the best things we can do is to be an example before them of a Christian who is at rest with God. It's hard for other Christians to see what that looks like if the Christians around them aren't at rest either. Then we just become a community of people that are all at unrest. And that was that generation that died in the wilderness. They didn't positively influence each other. They negatively influenced each other. Pretty soon the whole group was out of sorts. And just roaming and restless their whole lives. Some have asked me, Pastor Jeff, you... You mean a Christian could be restless for years? Yeah. They were for 40 years. 40 plus years. And they died never experiencing that rest. How tragic. This is why the author of Hebrews is writing so passionately to us. And can I say it, it... It affected me, not just for me, but as a pastor for over 30 years, I can tell you it grieves me how many Christians I have known, taught, ministered to, ministered with, who never have experienced God's rest in their life. God wants us as the oasis to be a church at rest. Made up of individuals who are at rest. So that when he continues to place us more prominently in this community, we will be an example to people. We will be a group of Christians who others can turn to and go, so that's what it means to be at rest. I didn't know that that was still possible. So I think that's why God wants us to nail this down. Would you close your eyes? We're going to end in a word of prayer. And as we pray this morning, with no one else looking around, if you would like me to remember you, in prayer as you work through this whole process of being at rest with God or maybe maybe you just want to you are so burdened for someone else that you know as a Christian who's not at rest and you just want to be praying for them and 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 you want to be an example to them If any of that is where you are right now, before God, more than even before me, would you just raise your hand for a second? Thank you. Thank you. Hands 
all over the auditorium. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. You know, God appreciates our honesty and openness. He never rejects us. He never pushes us away. All he asks is that we would just be transparent. And listen as he's speaking to us. God, I ask on behalf of myself and all of us here today that we would find your rest in our lives. Lord, whatever you are speaking to us about, God, we wouldn't be like that generation of Israelites who hardened their hearts who were inflexible and stubborn and refused what you said. And God, that we would not be like a people who hear your word, but we never mix it with faith. We hear it a lot, but we really don't believe it or trust in it or put our confidence in it. God, beginning today, I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. I I want to be confident in you. I want to be at rest. God, help us to be a church at rest. Help us to be a people at rest. help us to be an example of rest with you to others. And even this week, whatever we might face in our communities and at school or at work or with our family members or whatever, God, that might begin to stir up within us a restlessness or a lack of peace God, help us to get back and ground ourselves and root ourselves in you. And to not continue to experience that unrest. But to be at rest. God, use this day to be a significant marker in our lives. As we move forward, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.